Oh no. I think I'm gone. Um, can you hear me, Peter? Because I think my thing just froze somehow, yes, some I, way. I can hear you, I can see you, and it says we're live. So I think I think we're here. Okay, because I can see you moving. Looks like everything's good to go. There we are. Um, sorry for the short delay there. My screen kind of froze. So I was like, what on earth just happened? Um, but yeah, welcome back, everyone. It's always just to... the last minute, too. <laughs> Literally, everything was smooth right until the timer went, and it froze at like eight on my screen. I was like, okay, well, this is going to be interesting. Um, but welcome back, everyone, to Here in Apologetics. is always brought to you by you with your support on Patreon.com. Today, I'm joined by Peter Lublink. He's the executive director of Bethany Kids, and we're going to be talking about um, theology of missions, the purpose of missions, objections to missions, all things missions. So, Peter, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well. It's, it's my pleasure to be here with you today. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Um, I'm excited for this conversation and internet permitting. Hopefully everything works out fine. I should have like mega fast internet. Um, so we'll see what happens. But just to start off, can you talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do just to get things started? Sure. So as you said, my name is Peter and I work with an organization called Bethany Kids. And our goal is to train local surgeons across the continent of Africa, specifically pediatric surgeons. So our whole focus is making sure kids get adequate and quality care when they need it. So we train surgeons and then we equip those surgeons and resource those surgeons as they go across the continent of Africa. So in many ways, I would describe our work as a missionary organization, uh, but where it's maybe different than other organizations is all the missionaries serve in their home countries. They're people hmm. who return to their home countries after the training um, at the hospital in East Africa, and they serve their home communities and their home language. Uh, so I think it's a really brilliant way to do missions that is still partnering different countries together, still sharing resources, but doing so in a way that really values uh, local local stake and local input. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So what got you interested in like missions and such to get connected with like a ministry like Bethany Kids and doing the things that you guys are doing? Yeah, so I, um, as a kid, I, I grew up overseas a little bit uh, in, in Europe, uh, spent six years in Europe, and then um, even as an adult, been able to travel around quite a bit. And so I think in terms of a theology of missions, I've always sensed that like wherever you are, you should be doing something, whether it's in your neighborhood park cleanup or whether it's people afflicted by homelessness in your community. So my sense of mission is really wherever you are, do something and whatever your passions are, make sure you align them with with Jesus and, and do something for the kingdom. So there's that, wherever I am, I want to be serving others. Um, but I also love traveling. I like to explore the world. I've been to like 85 plus countries now, and I lived in the Middle East, uh, in the Middle East for the last eight years. Um, so I was teaching there, pastoring at a church. So I think my the experience I brought to Bethany Kids was that kind of global perspective uh, and a background in, in both communications and, and church leadership. So I, I think what it what kind of led me to Bethany Kids was the compelling story of their work. Um, you know, sometimes you get organizations that are well known or organizations that have great branding. And it wasn't that that led me to Bethany Kids. It was just seeing the focus that they had on local development and thinking this is this is what we should be doing, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I, because I don't have to be a surgeon. I don't have to be an expert in the field. I don't have to understand the nuances of uh, life in Kenya to serve, but I can partner with people who do. And I think that's what really got me excited about um, this particular partnership. 
Hmm. Yeah, that's so exciting. Um, so now we're going to dive into like um, the theology of missions and kind of like what's going on here. So when we're thinking about like missions from a Christian perspective, like how should we view them and the purpose and such, like where do we start when trying to understand um, this idea? Hmm. I think for me, uh, and, and it would be basically all questions of theology and scripture, it all begins with what is the priority that Jesus has laid out for us? And there's this emphasis of love God and love others. So I guess that's where I start any thinking around what is my theology of mission is, is that as one of my purposes as a person is that I should be loving my neighbor. And obviously you can ask questions like, well, who is my neighbor and what does that look like? Um, and, I, and I think that next part is kind of answered by capacity. Like what, what can you do? Um, if you have the capacity to bring groceries to your neighbor and that's what you can do, then, then do that. Uh, ensure that you're invested in mission locally. Um, but I also think we're a global community of Jesus. And so if you have the capacity and the ability to partner around the world, I think there's this, there's something beautiful in a world where countries are fighting each other. We're saying, actually, we're not about patriotism in countries. We're about the people of Jesus and being one nation. Uh, and, and I don't mean one nation as in Canada, the U.S. I mean one nation, the, the kingdom of heaven uh, across the world, serving others together. So I think that's kind of how the, the process starts for me, where I think I love my neighbor. What capacities, skills, abilities, connections do I have? And then how do I form uh, and shape my talents in a way that serves loving neighbor? And then I think, I guess, so So that's how it kind of starts in terms of to whom do we serve? And then I think there's, in my sense, there's always these like um, kind of things you have to think about, like dangers, if you can phrase it that way, that the ways that we've done mission, whether globally or locally, have been problematic. I think sometimes you get a, a missionary complex, if I can put it that way, where people are like, I'm serving others to get them saved. I think that becomes dangerous because there's a, an expected exchange. And I think that that we maybe miss the point. I think we serve others because God called us to love others. And when we do that, when we start with just, I just have to love others. I think people see a genuine uh, relationship with God through that. And it's not a bait and switch thing. It's nothing kind of seedy. It's, wow, these people just love me for who I am. And no one has given me that kind of compassionate love before. And so th that's when people have real transformation of heart to love mm -hmm. others, I guess is, is the shorthand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There, there's this quote I'm thinking of. I think it's from um, St. Francis of Assisi. I believe where he talks about like preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Um, some people kind of like, like incorporate that into like their missions um, idea. So like when you're looking at like missions, how do you um, balance like this idea of just like loving people and just like being a servant, but also like ultimately in missions, we want to like preach the gospel. So like mm -hmm. when you're thinking about like that balance in, in your missions ideas, like wh where do you think this kind of fits in? Yeah, I think again, it, whether it be global or local, if you're connecting with your friends, you don't have to sort of beat someone over the head with a Bible, but if you are genuinely loving them, like you'll have someone it, as a Christian, you should, you should have people saying to you things like, wow, I don't understand. No one has been this loving or compassionate or concerned about me ever. I don't like, why, why are you like this? Right. Yeah. Um, we should have, that is a place to start. I think we should always be transparent about the kind of people we are. Like, why are we doing this? We we believe in the, the scripture, the teachings of Jesus. We believe we're sort of compelled by his love to love others, not with an expectation of exchange, not like, oh, I got to get these conversions in the books, but just 
be in view of God's mercy, we want to live as kind of living sacrifices to, to love mm-hmm. others. So I think we need to be transparent in our intentions to say, like, hey, this is who I am. Uh, I'm, I'm a Christian. This is what motivates me. And be fully just um, like um, no catches to it when we serve others. I don't I've seen organizations that will go and like, hey, here's this thing. Here's some water or something. But then come watch the Jesus video. And there always seems to be, uh, again, I would phrase this kind of a bait and a switch where it feels uh, disingenuous. It doesn't feel honest. I think if if we're honest, we, like we ensure that we're living in such a way that our faith and our love for Christ is so apparent that people notice it. And they notice that whether or not they start to follow suit, we're still going to love them, right? Like even I think of Jesus on the cross uh, and, and whether or not, people said yes or no, whether, you know, even the disciples who still were messing up, he's like still proclaiming this love for them. And that's Mm. the model. Like that's the archetype of mission, Jesus, Mm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think an important question to get to at this point is like, why do missions matter? Missions matter. Oh my gosh. It's just Mm. mixing up words here. Um, (laughs) Because I think like a lot of the times, like at least for me growing up, I always like thought about missions is like, oh, it's that like one or two people in the church to go overseas and da 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 da, And that's kind of it. Um, So like, why think that missions matter to like, like every person should care about them? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important because you know, there's a lot of sort of metaphors for how church can be described. And I think sometimes in, in the West, we've gotten, and elsewhere in the world, we've gotten to a place where, where we show up to church to be blessed, right? Yeah. That's the language we're using. Oh, I was blessed by the music today, or the preaching really blessed me today. And we get into this model of, uh, I'm going to, to have, you know, to do some meditation and to feel better about life and whatever. And there's a, there's a narcissism to that. And I think, one of the things that a global perspective of mission adds to the conversation is that like, we're not alone in this kingdom of God, that Mm. uh, if we truly believe that someone on the opposite side of the planet is my brother and sister in Christ, whether they be in sub-Saharan Africa, in the Middle East, wherever, we truly believe these are people like you and I, they're created by God. They, many of them will love Jesus. And, and, and so why wouldn't I help my brother and sister in Christ? Right. Mm. There's, I think, for me, I, I don't like to frame it in terms of like a, a mission in terms of you got the mission board of the church or something. I, I see the whole church as a whole community. We are called, um, called out. I mean, that's what the church used to be referred to, right? In ancient languages, we are the called out ones, the, the set apart ones. And that means that we're set apart for a purpose. Um, and that is to, to love our neighbors and to love God. So, you know, we, we do that in a lot of different ways. And I commend any church that, um, you know, that they are known in their local communities for loving the neighbors. I think that is essential. Um, I also think it's a big world and there's a lot of people hurting on the planet. And if we have resources, if we have capacity, whatever that is, um, I think, you know, sharing it is, is part of being Christians, part of giving up something of ourselves for the sake of others, not from a place of ego or to try to look better or to try to proclaim our Western culture, but just in service of the kingdom to say, brother and sister in Christ, wherever you are on the planet, I'm with you. Like we're in solidarity and we're in the kingdom together. Is there anything I can help you with? Yeah, I need, you know, like I I need help with this or surgery or rehab for kid or wheelchair or school for like whatever. Like we, if we're a family of God, we got to stick together and help each other out. Mm. Yeah. I think about in first John where it talks about, um, 
just like if we have if we see a brother and sister in need but have no pity on them how can the love of god be in that person and just that call of, as christians to love people um so what i have for you now is kind of like three objections to missions different things that i've heard or read about or things like that or maybe people will talk about like what like why christians shouldn't be doing missions um yeah. and the first one is just that it destroys foreign cultures um mm. which is an interesting thing because i remember a few years ago when I, I forget the guy's name but he was a he was trying to be a missionary to the i think it's the nicobar islands in india um okay. and I, th- I forget where it was but he ended up being killed by this like tribe that hadn't been contacted in like 10 or twelve thousand years um and people were like well this guy's just trying to go and destroy their culture um and just trying to like westernize them and something so yeah. like how would you respond to the objection that um missions is just trying to uh destroy the world and make everyone fall under to like a christian like western banner yeah, I think I think this is a really important question and in many ways comes out of our own failures as a church, uh, because over the years, rather than being known as having missionaries who proclaim love, we've somehow gotten to be known as missionaries who proclaim Western ideology. And those things have to be separated. Um, we don't need to go to a place to teach English, to teach Western culture, to like, uh, I think of... Um, yeah, the, the biblical idea of being an ambassador and going out as ambassadors of the kingdom. And I think where we've kind of failed in the past is we've gone out as ambassadors of Canada or ambassadors of the US or, or of Spain or of England, or of these kind of empires over time. And we've represented the wrong king. I guess I could say it that way, that we've represented the wrong king and the wrong ideology. So, so I think it's a valid critique, but it's based on the assumption of how we've done it wrong for so many years. I think if we do it right, I, am, I have no intention to change someone else's culture, right? Uh, there, there's so much depth and, and um, richness to, to other cultures around the world. I don't need to change that. Um, what I want to do is, is demonstrate the love of God. The, the, I think Paul, Paul did some interesting missionary strategies, and I think a lot of people point to his time in Athens, for example, to say, hey, he's going around going, hey, all these gods you have, I noticed the statue here and it says there's no name. Do you know, I know the name of that God. Like I figured it out. I know who this is. Uh, and then he's like quoting Greek poets saying like, this was almost referring to them with a, with a sense of reverence as if it were scripture. And I think it's just, it's a brilliant approach. Even John, if you think of the opening uh, stanza of the book of John, the gospel of John and, and how it's, li- how it's laid out in language is really effective because he talks about Jesus being the word of God. And all the, the Hebrew people are going, yeah, yeah, he's, he's the Torah. He's the word. This is great. He's scripture with clothes on. That's amazing. That's really cool. But all the Greek listeners are like word, like philosophy, wisdom. Like somehow he was able to choose his words in such a, a careful way that different people heard the message in specific ways that were relevant to their culture. Mm-hmm. And so there's a way of, of loving neighbors that doesn't diminish their culture, right? Like if I think of it in a local sense and I have a neighbor here, if I'm genuinely being a good neighbor and loving that neighbor at no point should they say, Oh, this neighbor, Zach, he keeps coming over and like mowing the lawn. He keeps pushing his culture on me. I hate it. Like no one would say that if you were just offering love, if you were going over there being like, hey, listen, uh, the color of your house is kind of ugly. <laughs> I think you should paint it. Um, that, that's sending a different message, isn't it? And I think that's when we think of how, do we, how have we destroyed foreign cultures. 
the reality is we have done that and we've done it. Uh, we've been terrible. Uh, and we're in North America. And this is a good example of where we really messed things up. Um, but I, I don't think that is an excuse um, from doing it correctly. And I, and I think Bethany Kids is trying to do it. Uh, for example, the PR missionaries are in their home countries. They're not proclaiming my culture because they, they don't share my culture. They're uh, maybe Sierra Leone or Cameroonian, like they're from a different place. So I think if you mobilize local people, that is one way to avoid destroying foreign cultures. If you want to yourself be present in another culture, you just have to be very careful that you, you're not there to critique someone's culture. You're not there to tear apart things or, or, or anything to that effect. You're there to, to love your neighbor. That's what you're called to do. Mm -hmm. So do that. And the elements of their culture that could be narcissistic or sinful, they, that'll, that'll come to light. That'll sort itself out. Um, but you don't need to say, I think of the amount of times, a, a prime example, the amount of times Western Christian, Christian missionaries have gone into like a jungle tribe and be like, y'all shouldn't be dressed like that. You should wear more modest clothing. It's like, yo, it's the jungle. It's humid. Mm -hmm. It's hot. And, and fabric is hard to come by. Where suddenly uh, I've seen these kind of missionary before and after things where suddenly you get this tribe wearing jeans in the jungle. And I'm like, who had success here? Our culture as Westerners or our culture of Jesus? We don't, we don't need to change their outfit or their, their styling or their language or their food. Uh, what we hope to do is model the love of Jesus so that that culture in their own way, in their own language, their own tribe, their own tongue can come before God. Mm. I think a lot of people, um, when they question like um, maybe like missions, you know, we're just trying to like force our culture on another one. They think a lot um, about like maybe like in history where you have like maybe like the colonization of Africa or like the Americas where you have these people with like a sword in one hand and a Bible in another or the people with the Bible trailing behind the people with the sword. Um, so mm. I think a lot of the times like that's kind of what people get um, yeah. with regards to like this objection to missions. Right. So mm -hmm. the second thing I, I have for you. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say just on that point, and that's why I'm so leery of the bait and switch model, because mm -hmm. I think it's based on the sword and the Bible model, where I, I could say, hey, listen, I'll give you the surgery, but you know what you have to do first, you got to pray. That mm -hmm. is the same thing where I'm withholding compassionate care until they do a thing, until there's a conversion. And I think that is just as destructive. And it's interesting you mentioned Francis of Assisi uh, earlier, because he was born and raised in the era of these crusades and his mm -hmm. he was supposed to go on one of those crusades until he got sick and had to return home and so that was the culture he grew up in where missions was violent right mm -hmm. but then he had this kind of realization that there was a better way and eventually he did make it to the middle east but not with a sword right he went as a peacemaker and i think that uh it, just a beautiful example where even in the midst of messy bad history that that's really uh, 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 should be we all christians should be ashamed of there are glimmers of hope in people like him yeah definitely um the second objection i have for you is a little bit different but it's an interesting one um and it's kind of this question of like why would god use humans to um share the gospel like if god is all like i'll hear this a lot some something along these lines from like skeptics all the time where it's like if god is all powerful um and he knows what would convince me or things like that we don't need people or to carry the gospel he just convinced me that it was true or something like that um yeah. so why do you think about the question of like why would god use people um 
to share the gospel? Like, couldn't he just do it himself? Yeah, that's a good question. Something I've heard, and it sounds like a, a cheesy church illustration, but somehow it just stayed with me for years. Um, and, it, and it has to do with what is God's purpose? Like, what is the end goal? And the illustration that I've heard is like when a, when a parent is making cookies, maybe you or some of your listeners have heard this before. Uh, but, but when a parent wants to make cookies with their kids, if you invite your kids to make cookies, the quality of the cookies, uh, you know, it, it's now suspect. The, the length of time, it's going to be messy. There's going to be flour on the ceiling. But the goal is that relationship between the parent and the child and doing something together. The end product of the cookie is great, but the primary purpose is to do something together as as a parent and as child. And I think that image sticks in my mind a lot when, when we think of this question. That is, um, God is like that parent, wants to make cookies with the kids. Yeah, he could just like, great, there's cookies on the table, go eat them. But there's something far more parental, far more loving, far, far more relational of the father god saying i want to make these cookies with you i want to make this world a better place and i want you to be part of it sometimes we're going to make a mess sometimes we're going to get flour on the ceiling but the end goal is that all god's people who participated in this mission hopefully are going to be in closer communion with god because they will have seen his heart you know it's like if you imagine god is on this journey of reconciling himself to the world and as we join into that journey we're being reconciled every day more and more with God because we're starting to get his heart, right? You can see like, hey, uh, I did this thing wrong. And anyone who's been in missions or, or church leadership knows that there's learning that happens the whole way along. As we practice mission on a regular basis, we should be kind of realizing, wow, I can really see God's heart because um, these people have maybe uh, betrayed me or these people who I thought were friends have disappointed me. And I'm starting to understand just a little bit of what I've done to God, of how I've disappointed him. And, and there's this like realization of self-discovery that is involved there. And it happens because it's relational, right? It, God, yeah, could, we could make robots far more effective. Anyone who's managed a team, you know that it's easier to cut the team and just do it yourself. Uh, it's, very, it's efficient. It's very efficient. Um, but I think there are different measures that God has. And it's not just about mission efficiency but it's about relational value. Mm. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about like, I had a professor who always talked about like Christianity is so much about relationships. It's not just about like escaping hell or something like that. Um, the final objection I have for you here is just this idea of does sharing the gospel even matter? Um, I'll hear this a lot more today where it's like, well, it just doesn't matter if the gospel is shared or not. Um, it's just words or something like that. Um, so what do you think about this objection where someone would just doubt that um, the purpose of like missions and evangelizing, it just doesn't even matter to share the gospel? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think in some ways, sometimes it's like a, a misunderstanding of gospel for people because we've like boiled it down to a couple key verses and we've forgotten that gospel means good news. And I think most people would agree that there's a lot of people who need desperately need some good news today. Like we live in a world uh, where you turn on the news and it's mostly bad news. Uh, we live in a world where people are very quick to criticize that uh, each other, their families, their culture, everything. Like we live in a hypercritical, hyper negative environment. People are broken. People are hurting. And so if we strip away some of our kind of Christianese around this sense of gospel and say, if we genuinely have news that is elevating, news that is good, news that is refreshing, at no point would we ever say, oh, I've got great information. I've got positive, encouraging words, but I'm going to keep them to myself because I don't want to offend someone. 
if we genuinely think that the gospel is good news, that's what the word means, um, then I think then, then I think there's no objection to sharing it because um, people are hurting. We know that people are, are suffering. And our goal is to, to alleviate that suffering with a message of hope, a message of freedom. And I, I think like as Jesus kind of, uh, you, you've got that famous passage where he un, un, uh, unrolls the scroll from Isaiah and he's reading and, and it's interesting how he proclaims it. You know, freedom for the captives, sight for the blind. There's this message of hope. And, and people are, are in desperate need of that. And I, one of the other things I think of with this word gospel is sometimes, again, we've, we've loaded it down with modern Christian lingo. But the word, I mean, it predates Christianity. And it, it had to do with like Roman political stuff, right? Where there's like a new emperor in town. Even the word repent. There's a new emperor in town. Uh, and so I bring news from the emperor, good news that new things are happening. And then the, the idea of repentance from like a Roman perspective wasn't just about saying sorry. Like, I mean, that's nice. You can say sorry. That's fine. But repentance in that initial meaning was like, imagine you're going one way and then you discover you're on the wrong path. Repentance is about turning and going a new direction. Um, repentance can also be described as, um, well, uh, in this state, you've recently had a political election. So you have... You have a, a government on top, but you have a lot of civil servants. And you know, six months ago, they were working for one political party, right? Now they work for a new political party. Repentance in that kind of old Roman view is to say, listen, last week we were following Caesar, uh, Julius Caesar. This week we're following Caesar Augustus. There's a, a change in leadership, a change in direction. So when we come back to this notion of gospel um, and then we think, well, why would we even bother sharing it? Because there, there's a new way that we can live, a way that is loving, a way that is compassionate, that is hopeful, that, that actually fills our lives with daily joy. Um, that is good news. And, and people are desperate for good news. Um, I think people want to follow a new way that, that brings hope. Where we've messed it up, and again, I think this is on us. This isn't to anything to do with Scripture or Jesus messing up the gospel. This is us. We've turned the gospel into this weapon that sounds threatening to people. And I mean, people like anyone who is outside the church, who is not in a position of power, should feel empowered and inspired by gospel. The only people who were like threatened by the good news of Jesus were religious leaders. So we've messed something up there. We've got, I think, gospel, sharing the gospel does matter. Um, sharing the right gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of hope, the gospel that that brings joy on a daily basis. That story is something people are eager to hear. And if we ever get to a place where, where people aren't eager to hear the gospel, we might do a little self-reflection and think, what exactly am I sharing right now? Like, what story am I telling? Because when Jesus told that gospel story, people were excited. People were like, willing to give their lives for it. The early church was willing to die for it. So there's something beautiful, something life-changing and transformative about the gospel, something that redirects our path from one way to another. Um, and, and I think that that is something everyone's looking for. We've just maybe explained it in a way that was Western-centric or overly religious, something that the Pharisees might have uh, might have uh, appreciated rather than the words of Jesus himself.
Mm. I think you're so right when you talk about how the gospel isn't just a merely just a set of like intellectual commitments and a commitment to like go to church or something, but it's just a total life transformation. Um, the first time I thought about that was like, oh, wow, I never really thought about it this way, but it makes so much sense that it's just really orienting your life around Christ. Um, so we got through our questions. We got through our, our objections. Um, we covered a lot of ground here. So is there anything like you didn't get to say, things you want to bring up here um, before we start to wrap things up here? Yeah, I think something that that I think a lot about in terms of missions is um, we have some people who have been amazing at committing to missions, particularly the our older generation. A lot of senior citizens, generally uh, a lot of, we'll say, more conservative Christians have been really uh, supporting missions in beautiful ways. Like I think of old churches with the bulletin boards and the faces and the prayer requests. And I think there's something absolutely incredible. And I think as uh, as 2021 Christians continue to sort of figure out our faith and, and walk it through, I think we would do ourselves a great disservice to walk away from that heritage. I think, yes, there's a need for us to, to raise these questions of critiques, to raise these objections, but not to stop there. Because I think if we just say, oh, missions are faulty, missions are, you know, like they're not done well. So instead, I'm just going to keep all my money for myself. Um, you know, like it's one thing to critique missions. We should, we should, we should hold missionaries and mission organizations to a high standard. But, but I, th- I, I get kind of disappointed when I see Christians say, oh yeah, I'm all about Jesus. I'm all about, you know, loving neighbor. But when it comes to my pocketbook, when it comes to my money, I'm just mm-hmm. going to like, you, you know, cause then I, I wonder, are you really critiquing missions or are you just being selfish? And I think we need to like ask those questions because critiques are valuable. We've discussed them today. And, and I think there are, our organization and other organizations are trying to do the right thing, trying to serve in a way that is not colonial, that is not racist, but genuinely uh, lifts up other cultures uh, in the image of Jesus. And we, we, there's many trying to do that around the world. So if you've got a listener who says, I've got some critiques, but I, I follow Jesus, I would just encourage them to, to not stay with the critique phase. That's a good phase, but you shouldn't spend your life there. At some point, you should find causes that inspire you and get involved. I obviously feel really excited about Bethany Kids because I think we're serving locally. We're literally transforming lives through surgery. We're training up local professionals. I think it's a brilliant model. And any of your listeners who wants to support or reach out to me, I'm happy to to tell them and try to answer these questions in specific ways. But if there's other charities that you get excited about, do that. Whatever you do, don't sit idly by. Don't sit around saying, oh, you know, these people did it wrong Mm -hmm. while doing that from a couch, doing nothing. Like, do something. Whatever you do, it may not be perfect. We may not get it right all the time. But we are a people of the kingdom of God. And our brothers and sisters in that kingdom globally could really use our partnership in the gospel. And I I think that we're called to that. Mm. Yeah, it's so well thought out. And I would encourage everyone um, listening to be looking for ways to give and serve or in some capacity to missions because it's such an important um, part of being just a Christian. Um, so, Peter, just thank you so much for joining me. Um, there is a link down. There should be a link down below. And if there's not, I'll fix it um, as soon as we're done here to like your website. There is um, to just you can look at Bethany kids and what's going on and contact them if you have questions and such. Um, so I encourage everyone to do that. And if you're new to it here in apologetics, I always encourage you to subscribe and leave a like. Um, but Peter, thank you so much for your time. It's been a really good conversation. 
Thank you. It's been my uh, my privilege. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> it's all good. And thank you, everyone who tuned in. Have a good one and God bless.